You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, Episode 1. You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. So before we get started with the show, if you really like the GTKY concept of connections before content, but you thought to yourself, where do I get those good questions at? And you're thinking, well, I'm still doing virtual teaching versus in-person teaching, and I just want to connect with my kids, but I'm not sure what questions to ask. What we've done for you is created a free resource of 25 GTKY questions that you can immediately download and go back into your virtual setting or your in-person classroom setting to make a difference of getting to know your students before you dive into the content. All you have to do is head over to our website at RCL. F-I-R-S-T.com, sign up for our newsletter, and you will get immediate access to 25 GTKY questions that you can go back into the classroom and start putting connections before content. So let's get right back into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode, where I sit down with Mr. Joe Beckman, who spent the last 17 years speaking in educational settings all over the world with one simple mission, to reclaim human connection. What's crazy is Joe shares this energy and humor and authenticity and message on human connections with over 1 million students, educators, and parents. So whether it's a middle school in Minneapolis, an international conference in Malaysia, or he was even our 2019 keynote speaker at our NEDRP conference where we made student connections at the center, uh, Joe just makes a big difference in people's lives. So when I thought, who is going to be the first guest that I'm going to release as an episode? Joe Beckman rose right to the top. He is the human connector. You are in for a treat. Joe is not just going to talk about connections in the classroom. He's going to talk about connections in life. And he's going to do it in a way that he reminds us, like, for example, mic drop moments where he talks about you don't have to just be extraordinary. You can just be ordinary. And he is going to share with us a strategy, F-O-R-D, that doesn't stand for Ford. It stands for ways that we can connect with students in the classroom to put relationships back at the center of learning. So not only am I honored to have him as a guest, I'm excited to have our first episode, Be the Human Connector. You're in for a treat. So I'm glad you tuned in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am excited today to have an amazing guest. Um, I'm going to call him the Human Connector. Welcome to the show, Mr. Joe Beckman. Thank you, Kevin. Super excited that I can be here with you today. It's an honor and a privilege every time we get to chat, and uh, I'm excited. Awesome. So as usual, before every episode, we always dive. Before we get into the content, we always want to make connections. So connection before content on the show, we do this in what we call the flip five format. Joe, I'm going to ask you five simple questions. You're going to flip five back at me to get to know me a little bit better than we already do. And just to illustrate, this is what we want teachers to do in the classroom. So question number one, Uh Joe, uh, mountains or beach? Mountains, and it's not even close. Got it. All right. Dog or cat person? Dog. Mm, Got it. If you had one opportunity to perform with any entertainer, who would you want to perform with? You know, I would say if I could choose one person, it would be, uh, there's a a 
acoustic guitar player by the name of Jason Mraz. Well, he's not just an acoustic guitar player, but, but he's a musician that I connect with the most. Uh, and I've actually dreamt about him pulling me up on stage because I've learned a bunch of his songs on guitar and saying, I don't know how to play guitar anymore. You're going to have to do it. So in my mind, I have already performed with Jason Mraz and I can't wait uh, to manifest that uh, in real life. Question number four. So do you TikTok? I do. I TikTok. I have a pretty mean TikTok game. Uh, it's been a long time since I've invested in time and energy into my TikTok game, but um, I feel pretty good where it's at right now. And I think with a little bit of time and energy, I could take it to a whole new level. Love it. And the last question, um, what is your favorite meal? Um, I'm going to go back because my mom would always, when we were little, we would always, uh, on our birthday, we were able to choose the meal that we were able to have. And this is probably not going to be a popular choice, but it's my choice. And I have to go with my authentic self, Kevin Curtis. And that meal is meatloaf. Hey, I love it. Hey, mom's meatloaf are hard to beat. I completely get it. All right, brother. That was five for me. What's, what do you got? I got five right back at you. Kevin Curtis. Um, we're all kids at heart. And so I want to I kind of dive back a little bit to your, uh, your kid, Kevin Curtis self. And I want to know, what is your favorite cereal now? Or maybe what was your favorite cereal when you were growing up? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Cocoa Puffs. Really? Very interesting choice. Um, as a kid, we all have sort of our happy places that we go back and we remember some of our best memories. What was one of your happy places as a kid um probably the little league fields it was called columbia little league fields and uh, in fact it was so funny joe somebody oh, i have a facebook group of the neighborhood adam Steele, where i grew up and somebody got on a whole thread of columbia where we used to ride our bikes and we would play baseball and you could go back there and catch crawdads in the creek and it was just like this magical place where like it was heaven. It was heaven yeah. on earth as a kid because it brought baseball, it brought community. Um, and then as I grew older, there was girls softball that it was added behind there so we could go watch the girls. I mean, it was this was this place that if you look at it, it just seemed to be the central hub of my entire life. Columbia Little League Fields. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, okay, so here's another one. You were an athlete, obviously. Um, I think we all have in our mind like our favorite personal like athletic play that we have. Like when I was in sixth grade, I went off in basketball for like 14 straight points. I was on fire. I was in the zone. I'll always remember it. When I was in seventh grade, I pulled off the hidden ball trick as a third baseman on the baseball baseball field. And I actually got the guy out. Those are two memories that I will always have. Um, they didn't, I didn't get much past that in, in my sports uh, career, but um, what was your, your most prestigious sports moment growing up? Oh my God. Oh, uh, you know, I, I, it's crazy, Joe, because I played football and baseball primarily, ran some track, played soccer growing up, so many different things. But th I'm going to go with the first thing that entered my mind because you kind of started with kind of at an early age. I am, I am the average person at basketball. So basketball was like seventh and eighth grade, but I didn't play in high school. Definitely. Yeah. That was not my sport. So let's just say that. But I do remember in middle school one time, I got the opportunity to take a last second shot and hit almost a half court shot basket oh but i was hooked at that point in i don't care if you ever played it was a coach with the time's running out just put me in and i can hit that yeah. shot yeah. Uh, yeah so for whatever reason middle school i always remember making that one basket 
That's fantastic. Okay, last question. This is going to be more challenging than all of them. You are given a two-week vacation, Kevin Curtis. I'm actually, it's, we're such good friends. I'm actually going to purchase that for you. Um, but what I don't know, Kevin, is if you want to spend all two weeks in one place, if you want to go one week in one place, you know, spend one week in two different places, or if you want to go to four different places in those two weeks, only spending a little bit of time in each of the four places you go to. So you can go to one place for the entire time. You can go to two places for a week each, or you can try to hit four different places for two to three days each. What choice would you make? I would probably pick the middle one, uh, one week in each spot, if I could, if I had to. The uh, reason being is, is typically, um, so one thing I didn't like when I went on cruises, you got to check out a port or something for a day, and I'm like, ah, I need more time here. Yeah. And so, um, and then I've been at places where I'm like, it really just depends on where I go, but I would say on the average show, give me a week, one place. I think I could cover it. And then a week in another place. I think that would be an ideal vacation for me. Sounds good. I'll, uh, I'll start putting in the phone calls right now and uh, looking at your uh, schedule. Well, I will just tell you, I thought you were going to ask me where would I go? And I will just share this. If you've never heard of Eleuthera in the Bahamas, Eleuthera in the Bahamas, it's not Nassau. So it's not where all the crazy things are. It's a cross. It's this long, thin island. I think it's like 110 miles long. It's only like five miles wide. Um, Low key, no high rises. It's where the Caribbean and the Atlantic meet. So you have teal water meeting dark blue water. You won't see big hotels. You stay in like Airbnbs. I rented a car, drove on the other side of the road for the first time, eat with the locals. You talk, go to like seven different beaches, Joe. And if you show to a beach, if somebody's there, you're lucky. You, it's like you have an island to yourself. It is the most incredible experience I've ever been. So one of the kids I coached went there for his honeymoon and, and turned me on to it. And I cannot wait. And I think United flew like right into the island. Get out of here. That, I was going to say, does it take you 27 hours to get there? No, 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 no. I can't remember all the connections, but literally I think United was whoever it was, but flew right into the island. The check-in was like a, a, a person like, let's look in your bag and you can bring in food and snacks. And I think you can even bring in like one liter per alcohol per person and so yeah it, it was just a really really neat place and i recommend if um you ever have an opportunity to if you're looking for a place um yeah it's incredible eleuthera in the bahamas I, well that's a pretty nice place but i don't know if you've seen the exotic beaches of minnesota where i live also <laughs> very tempting to uh to, to lock down minneapolis as your vacation spot right around anywhere between november through April. I think you're going to be very, very pleased with that. I, I, I only, I only live vicariously through your Facebook videos in the, uh, in the, in the background, <laughs> but um, that I, I would say a Luther number one, Minnesota number two, definitely. You got me. You got me. In one area and a week in another area. Absolutely. Oh my God, Joe. This is why I loved having you on the show, man. You, I call you the human connector. You are just a human being that I, I've resonated with. And we've only known each other less than a year. And, and one of the things that I've really appreciated is just your general attitude about life. Can I just start there? Where, where, I don't know a whole lot about your upbringing, but where did this like come from, Joe? I mean, you, you are just this bubbly, but you are, I call you the human connector. You're the human connection. Yeah. So where did that just kind of originate from in your, in your opinion? It's so interesting. I, I, I don't know. I, all I can tell you is that I'm the youngest of three and I've been told that the youngest are kind of, they're a little different in many different ways. And I am for sure different than my brother and sister and my, you know, kind of 
not a black sheep in the family, but I'm, I'm definitely a different colored sheep of some sorts. And I, I don't know. I just know that ever since I was little, I had this spirit and this energy and I would get it. I would get like, I, w- I remember even in the like grocery store when we would go up to the cashier and we would check out the cashiers would come up to me and one lady was named Patsy and she would always put her hands on my shoulder and she would look at me and she would say, you Joey are, are, are special. And I, and I feel like she probably said that to a lot of kids, but I felt like she was really meaning it when she said it to me. And I feel like I've had so many wonderful and amazing humans enter my life that have fueled my happiness and positivity. I feel like I'm just trying to manifest that out into the world. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's just like, that's kind of where I, I think that's, and we all get different gifts too on this, when we enter this world. And for some reason, God did not give me the building gift, the hammer gift, the tools gift, but he gave me the personality gift. And, uh, and so I've just doubled down on that. I remember growing up in elementary school, the teachers would pull me aside because on the playground, I went through a K through eight school as a seventh or eighth grader. The first and second graders would just like, like the Pied Piper, they would just follow me around like little ducklings and I would just make them laugh and I would make them smile. And for some reason, this is just, that's the gift that's been given to me. And I, I think for a lot of people, and I think I, I see it sometimes when I get off in my life is when um, I start forgetting that that's, that that's a gift, that, um, that I, I try to f- spend my time and my energy fixing all the things that I'm not, rather than double downing on all the things that I am. And I feel like I spend a lot of time when I'm in my in some worst moments trying to fix all those parts that I'm not, rather than stopping and being present and looking back and saying, but, but focus on the things that, that you are. And some of the things that I am which is I have a strong personality. I'm pretty charismatic. I'm, uh, I'm pretty humorous. And I feel like when I can focus in on those, double down on those, that's when you know, I can add the most value to the people around me, whether that's family or, or schools or students or teachers or whatever it is. Hmm. Well said. No, that, that answered the question. And um, that's just your, your, your energy is infectious and it makes the people around you naturally want to be drawn into you like that Pied Piper, but ultimately want to know a little bit more and, and really draws you into as a listener. And so when I think about how you're able to make connections with just people, I mean, like you said, that's a gift, but what I was so impressed with, and I'm just being very direct, Joe, I, I, I always believed I started this organization when being with the philosophy that I needed educators to train other educators. And you taught me, wow, that that's not necessarily always true. And that is one thing that I loved and appreciated. You opened my eyes, though, even though you may not come from an educator background, you're not a teacher, you haven't been to right. those, but you've been in classrooms and you've been a student and you've been a student of teachers, having being a father and having children and all those types of things. So, I mean, what really pushed you to start working into schools? Because you have this knack, you have this energy, you have everything, but what really drew you kind of working into the schools? I, I really like to know that because I don't know where that really came from. Yeah, um, I've just always had, like we were saying earlier, like the gifts that I have, personality, charisma, and I also have this passion for working with kids. And again, don't know exactly how that all lined up and I don't even question why it is what it is, but I just know that's what it is. I'm good on a stage and I really love being around young people. So how do I take that passion with that talent and add value? And 
just throughout the years, I, I tried different things. I was a Right out of the college, I was hired to do plays in schools for like a children's theater company. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. And then for about 12 years after that, I would go in and I would do day-long retreats in schools. And I, I realized how much I loved working with students. And then about five years ago, I stepped out on my own. I started creating our own programming and our own messaging and our own brand. And I learned pretty early on that if I was going to grow that, I, I couldn't just work with students. I had to also work with adults. And I was freaked out because I'm not a teacher. Like you said, what do I have to share with teachers about how to be a better teacher? But then I realized pretty quickly uh, on to this journey as I was starting to speak in front of adults that adults are in essence just big kids who have a lot of the same stuff. They share some of the same joys, the same happiness, and some of the same negativity and the, and the stress and the problems. And so once I realized that adults in essence are just big kids who are just trying to, to figure life out almost like we were when we were younger, it got a lot easier. And what I realized is that, man, teachers have the single most important job on this planet they, I met a lot of teachers who knew that and felt that intuitively, but they didn't feel like they had the support that maybe they needed from people on the outside. And I thought, man, if I can present in a charismatic way to students, why can't I share this message, a message of connection and relationships and self-care with adults? And so I started working with teachers and I started working with parents. And again, what I realized early on is you get a couple reps and a couple at-bats behind you is that, man, these humans, these older humans are just as much in need of the same sort of reminders that the younger humans that I work with need. And so, yeah, I have a heart and a passion for people who also love kids. And so teachers, they, they naturally love young people. And so we, we get along, we share that same passion. And uh, I love being able to to add a little bit of value and a little bit of light into their lives because, man, they have the most important job on this planet. And so, yeah, that's kind of where it came from. Man, that's awesome. Well, I love how it naturally just progressed. And, you know, you, you, you started with these. And so where did music come into it? Like, I just have to ask this because yeah. this is my show and I get to ask good questions. And I just always say, well, this, I, this is me. I want to get to know. No, but I'm laughing. I'm like, so you played the guitar and, and different things. So where did, how did music get infused into your life? And then how did you feel? Because it does add value to when you do work with the kids, particularly and with the adults. How did music kind of get brought into it? Okay, so Kevin, I'm 41 years old. Uh, I can't remember how old you are, but I'm guessing you probably know some of the same bands that I'm going to uh, say right now. I was sitting as a probably second or third grader on my sister's bed, who was four years older than I was when I was younger, and she would play cassette tapes of bands called Def Leppard and Bon Jovi and Poison and Motley Crue. And I remember thinking to myself as a little second grader, eight-year-old, Someday, I want to rock a mullet on a stage with a guitar in front of a lot of people. And so that's why I have the long hair. People can't probably see it right now, but I, I'm, I'm trying to work the killer mullet right now. But the guitar part is a work in progress. And so here's the, here's the music story. I, I think this happens a lot. There's a bigger message in it. I think sometimes we identify the things that we want to try and do in this world, and then our mind gets in the way. I always wanted to play guitar. And 
even as a young kid, I remember thinking like eighth grade, like when I first started, like maybe I could get my own guitar. I remember thinking as I would look at other people around me and go, I'm never going to be as good as them. I should have started when I was in fifth grade. So what's the point of even picking it up? And then I got into college and I would see people in my dorm floor and they would be playing guitar. And I was like, man, if I would have just started in high school, I would be able to play in college. And I kept saying that same narrative over and over and over until I started really speaking in front of kids. And I went, wait a second, like maybe I should pick up this guitar thing because at the end of the day, it's only going to make the presentations more, it's going to enhance my live presentations. And A, it's something I've always wanted to try, but that voice in my head kept coming back. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And, um, I decided, you know what, at one point I decided to realize, you know what, I might not ever be good enough, but I think sometimes like done is better than perfect. Giving it a shot and getting out there and putting one foot in front of the other is better than just standing still. And so I just started kind of hacking around a little bit. I would watch some YouTube videos. And what I realized is if you learn three or four of the major chords on a guitar, you know roughly 60 to 70% of the songs that have ever been written. And so I learned three to four chords and I started adding more songs to the mix. And I just kept practicing over and over again. And then I finally said, you know what, I'm going to take this idea and I'm going to actually share it in front of students. And quite honestly, I said, as I went out there, I said, y'all, this is the first time I'm actually doing this. I don't know if it's going to be any good or, or not, but what I do know is that it's something I've always wanted to do. And, uh, and I, I think there's probably a lot of you out here in the crowd who have always wanted to do something. Maybe it's try out for a sport or a play. Maybe it's talk to a new kid at lunch, somebody that you don't know as well. Stretch yourself outside of your comfort zone in some way, shape, or form. There are a lot of you out there who are wanting to do that. And uh, this is an area in my life where I'm doing that. And I'm just coming to the table and I'm letting you know that this is uh, I'm a little nervous right now and I'm probably not going to be that good. But I know that if one day I want to be good, I have to stumble and fail and go through this in the, in, in, along the way. And so that's kind of how the music thing came to be. I just kind of stumbled my way uh, with my guitar onto a stage. I played in front of some students. And then I started weaving it into uh, presentations that I have with adults. And again, I come back with the same message is that I'm not going to be, I'm not here to wow you with my entertainment skills but I am here to prove to you that when you step outside of your comfort zone, really cool things can happen. And so, yeah, I, uh, I sort of started weaving in because of that. And uh, now it's like a staple of all the different programs that I lead. If you listen to a program or a keynote speech, there's a good chance if I have the time, I'm going to bring the guitar in there and use it to, to add a different you know, uh, type of message into the program. No, I love it. Um, and as you're listening to that, one thing that stood out for the, for your speech is the insecurity and not believing that we are good enough or that we can do this. And what's crazy, Joe, I'm going to be very vulnerable. You know, they were like, hey, we got to get this podcast started. And I was like, yeah, I will. I, I will. Let's get it up and running. And my fear was exactly what you just said. I'm like, look, I speak in front of hundreds and thousands of people, right? Like I can speak, I can present, I don't do the guitar, but I'm good at what I do. This is my craft. And it was 
this, and, and I had a gentleman uh, who lives in my neighborhood who started a podcast and he's actually doing his live. So there's no editing. And I, he was telling me, Hey, have you started your podcast, Kevin? And I was like, no, you know, I'm going to, he said, man, I'm telling you right now, Kevin, let me give you the best advice. If you don't start, he said, you, you won't start. And he said, he said, pretend this. He said, if you launched your first episode and how many listeners would you want? I was like, oh my God, I'd be humbled at whatever, like, uh, you know, like a dozen or a couple. He's like, man, imagine a thousand people listening to your first podcast. He goes, I'm just going to be honest. He goes, your first podcast is never really good. And he said, so it's not as good as it could be. And he said, so you got to get in there because you're going to become more comfortable with it. It's going to get better. And he said, so that way, eventually when you have that thousand people or whoever it is listening, you'll you'll have worked on it much like you with a guitar. But I I didn't realize, Joe, as uh, as much as security I had in my own world for the last five years of doing this, this was a leap of faith for me and to bring people on here and stuff and have these conversations and, and believe, will people listen? So I was, you're playing guitar as you're saying guitar. I'm thinking podcasting, literally just launching this and getting up off the ground was a little bit scary for me. Well, I, I think so often what, you know, we're talking about relationships, right? And we're talking about how to build and form relationships and how important they are. I think a big part of relationships that we don't remember is the vulnerability piece. And I, I think one of the things that binds humans together is, is this, this is both extraordinary and ordinary, right? Like I feel like they're both of them need to be present. And I think you're an extraordinary speaker, Kevin. I am an extraordinary speaker. We do that really, really well. And I think our audience connects with us on the extraordinary they look at us and go, wow, I could never deliver a talk like that in front of a large group of people. But I think what really brings people into my tribe, if you will, is not just when I'm doing things that make me extraordinary, but when I go back a few steps and I do things that make me look pretty ordinary. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is they go, oh, he is just like me. He does have some of the same fears. He does have some of the same flaws and the same screw-ups. He might be really good at this one thing, but in a lot of other areas in his life, he's a hot mess or he's still trying to figure it out. And I, I feel that that part of it, the ordinary part, oftentimes gets lost in the self-consciousness because we have to sometimes feel like we need to present this perfect human that doesn't have any flaws. And I think we forget that it's within the ordinary that really binds people to us and really takes a relationship that feels like, it's like a good relationship and it really takes it to the next level and makes it a great relationship where real connections can be made because I feel like now we have something that's really in common that I'm ordinary, just like you. All right. We said it at the beginning of the show, mic drop moments, extraordinary versus ordinary. Wow, Joe. Wow. That was, that was, that was powerful for me because not only am I thinking of myself, I'm thinking of two other things. One, as you were talking, again, just knowing the parts that I get to know you, Joe, I was sitting there going, Joe was insecure. You know, like, I don't sense that from you. So, yeah, I was like, I would have never, just generalizing, I wouldn't have guessed that you would have struggled with that. And then two... Let's go into the classroom, though, because now here's where you start painting in a picture of a canvas of a classroom for me. Teachers who are, you know, um, pressurized to be extraordinary in their own ways, and everybody needs to be different. But 
to show ordinary means that I need to be vulnerable. And that is difficult for some adults, just naturally, because, and that's why I always say this, I believe in differentiation. I believe that everybody needs to be ordinary and vulnerable and extraordinary in different ways. I don't want cookie cutters of people in the classrooms. I want you to be you. And I, that's why it's so hard. People want a program. People want to say, Oh, if you give me this program or this book or this way of doing it, if I pick up a guitar, people will know. I try to explain them. People need to know who you are as that ordinary person. So the students that I've been interviewing, Joe, they just say, our teachers need to, we need to know our teachers that they're human and they need to know that we're human. So I'm using human to just ordinary. And when I go into the classroom, it's one of the mindsets that I'm always struggling to get through is how do you just let your te- your students know that you are ordinary, that you like dogs or that you would rather go to the mountains or whatever. Because I don't know if it's out of fear that they, that, that I don't want the kids to know this. Is it because of the content? And, this isn't on the content and curriculum. And so yeah. therefore it's not on my pacing calendar. Like there's so, and it's not just one, but there's so many things that are stopping educators at times, because I feel like when we get in education, it's like we come out packaged up and it's like, okay, you're, you can't be ordinary. There was, there was this phrase that they used to, people would joke about, you can't smile till after Christmas. You can't let them know they, where your buttons are at. You can't, you have to keep up this wall and, and classroom management and all these things. And, and I think throughout the years and over my two decades in education, you hear so many messages that does, that does not encourage you to be ordinary. We want yeah. you to be extraordinary, but we only want you to be extraordinary in the academic arena. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I think, again, like we're so hungry. I think intuitively we know all of that, but along the way that sort of intuitiveness gets beat beat off, you know, like it, it somehow gets pushed away of that thing that we know that like, I think relationships are important, but there wasn't a class on relationships in school. So maybe, maybe that's just in my head. And I I think, you know, sharing a little bit being real and being authentic that's something that would build stronger relationships. But the seven other teachers around me, they don't do that. And they think that that's like actually kind of weird. And so maybe I just won't do that. And so when you and I come in and speak and we share things like, hey, be real, be authentic. I think people and teachers just have that moment of like, I've always intuitively known that. And I just needed somebody to, to say it out loud. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. It is so challenging. I always get a little like thrown by that. It's like, why is it so hard for people to be vulnerable? And I think there's something about that word. I think especially as guys, when we hear vulnerable, there are walls that come around us on all four sides. Uh, and I, so I, I like to replace the word vulnerability with a much more basic word. Just be real. Be you. That is that is the exact same thing. Be you you know, obviously you want to be the best version of you. You don't want to show up as a hot mess in front of your kids if you had a tough day that morning. But you could also say, you know what? Like uh, I had a really tough day and I'm thinking that my patient level, the patient's level isn't that high today. Here's what we're going to need from, I'm going to need this from you guys. Like A, give me some grace and forgiveness if I go off or B, if you guys could just help me out, dig a little deeper, try a little harder and keep things in control today, that would really make this class go a lot smoother. I think about our, my physics teacher, Kevin, when I was a uh, senior in a high school, 
I took physics as an elective. Uh, I didn't have to take it. I could have dropped it. I knew about three seconds into class number one that I wasn't going to understand it. But Mr. Westlake taught that class. And Mr. Westlake was probably, if I hate to use this phrase, because I think it's, but he was the nerdiest teacher in our whole school. He was the, if you were to picture, uh, what would a physics teacher look like in, uh, in an image, it was him. And yet every day he stood up in front of us and he had this thing called his monologue and it was five minutes or so. And he would just share about what he did over the weekend or what was going on in his life. And I remember he would talk about things like his motorcycle that he would drive. And these stories didn't have any points. They didn't have any deep life lessons to them, but it allowed us just to get to know him a little bit more. And I remember thinking, I don't probably remember a lot of the first names or even me. I remember a lot of the teachers, but I remember the teachers the most that were real, that were authentic and that, uh, that I saw a little bit about who they were beyond just the academic subject that they were teaching. No, I think that's powerful. Um, I taught integrated physics, biology, chemistry. And so when you said science teacher, I'm like, hey, 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 Uh, I'm just teasing. But no, I think that was, but what you just showed and what you just brought up, Joe, is he was willing and for whatever reason, his comfortableness, his ordinary self said, hey, I can stand up here and give X amount of minutes of a, a, just a monologue on who I am and what I'm about and what I did this weekend and those types of things. That's what's so simple about these types of breaking the barriers of showing your ordinary versus extraordinary. That's what, and you just said, be you. I'm trying to express to educators, but it's like you said, we, we come out and it's pushed to the side so hard and we didn't have a class on it. So nobody taught me, okay, where's my level of vulnerability? I always say this, kids don't, you know, teachers are supposed to act like we have it all together. Well, I think most people in life are like this, but there is this, there is this mirage of teachers are supposed to have it together. And I tell them, just as you said, you don't need to be a hot mess, but it's okay to not be okay. Yes, I, that's your that's your line, and I, so I feel like I've I've quoted you without quoting you before, but now I remember that's Kevin Curtis. So every time I, uh, it's I okay that, to not be okay, and it's okay to not be okay. You know, okay, not be okay. Just like yeah. you did, Joe, when you walked up on that stage and you said, "Hey guys, this is my first time playing the guitar in front of anybody." So yeah. I, you know, a little bit of grace. Just I hope it goes well. I don't know what holds us back from just saying, hey, this is the first time I'm teaching this lesson, but you know what? I'm excited about it. I prepared for it, those types of things, and just jumping into it or teaching a lesson and then realizing and going, okay, this isn't going well. And what I tell teachers all the time is use a football analogy, punt, you know, kick the ball. Let's start over on a new, on the other end of the end zone. And let's just, let's just realize today didn't go well, but I, I will tell you, from a teacher's perspective, Joe, there is a real pressure that we feel mm-hmm. that is almost inescapable that the college classes did not prepare us for. Teacher preparation may give us a little bit insight. But when you realize there's a campus administrator holding you accountable, there's that word accountable for the academic success. And that's where I start, right? They didn't just say you're in charge of all of the the well-being well-being of all of these children's building yeah. relationships, making connections, um, helping them 
the struggling readers, they don't, they just say you're, the general cons, uh, idea is you're in charge of this academic success of this class and it's a tested area, let's just say. So therefore, you know that the state is going to be holding us accountable. Your name is ultimately there. My name's on a report. And that whole pressurize, that whole pressure of the system comes down. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Everything that we know is innate and that we should be doing and that we feel like, hey, maybe I should be a little vulnerable today. You're like, I don't have time. I just got to get through it. I got to get these success, kids to be successful. And so I will tell you, and I've said this on multiple episodes, but I remember being a principal and I do remember feeling that pressure, even though, Joe, I knew relationships were important. I would look back as a campus principal did I have the mindset that I have now? No way. Was did I bring relationships to the center? I can't say I brought them to the center. Did I? Did I? I made sure that the kids, for example, I told them, "Hey, this was a middle school. We have pep rallies." I said, "Yes." I said, "I need to be the center of every pep rally. I need to be rapping. I need to be part of whatever's game you're going on. They need to see me as a real person." And so I knew that. And I had done that when I was a coach and a teacher. So I told him, if I'm going to be the principal, you got to put me out there. You, it, it, you throw a pie in my face, you know, do the different things, you know. But I would tell you when I would rap or come out with, you know, a long basketball jersey on and chains and, and, a, and a bandana as a do-rag, they were just like, oh, my God, look, Mr. Curtis, right? Um, I, and, I would, and then if not, Joe, I would MC. I would have teachers in sumo suits and they would wrestle each other in sumo suits. And it got to the point where our pep rallies were so big. And this was a small town that the high school people would start wanting to come over and see our junior high pep rallies. And yeah. then, and then one time those true story, one time they gave us the opportunity to host our junior high pep rally at the high school gym, which was much bigger than our gym. And they were going to invite the entire high school to watch it. And Joe, what's crazy is, you know, I, the, the part of me was like, okay guys, we're going to the big stage. Right? <laughs> so let's, we choreographed. I had half of my staff and we did a choreographed to Thriller. They were doing it around Halloween. So we did Thriller. I had, we were in Thriller. Oh yeah. We had a whole choreograph. We practiced Joe. I was like, we're, we're having Thriller practice today. And so we were practicing. That's when we did the sumo suits. One of the high school coaches was a, uh, did the drums. And I said, Hey, I'm going to rap. I just need some drum beats. And he was like, gotcha. We put on this production of a pep rally and people got to see me in so many different lights and my teachers and everyone, but it was so exciting. But then the back, the backlash was the high school was like, y'all need to stop that because now their pep rallies were like, ours were above them at the junior high. You can't, you know, you can't overtake a high school. It was just so fun. But I just go back to the, what you were saying. I had to show people just like your nerdy teacher Hey, I'm I'm just a regular person and this is what I like to do and this is my personality. And I just wish teachers could shed the pressure and the accountability of those standardized scores and tests and just realize you don't and what you just said was powerful, Joe. He only took the first whatever minutes. And yeah. and, and that's what I, that is what's mind-blowing when I say, "Hey, 
What about trying one of our 60-second relay breaks or two-minute connections? These simple tools that help you build relationships of what I've called micro-frequencies. In other words, just short bursts throughout every day versus trying to figure out one whole part of a day where you take a chunk away from a lesson and now I got to do that. I'm like, hey, what if you just do this in small little increments throughout the week? And even if it's not every day, but you're hearing your nerdy teacher talk about his motorcycle or what he's doing and you're looking beyond the nerdy of nerdy look of him and you're seeing him and going, wow, I didn't, wouldn't have guessed he's into that or those types of things. What are your thoughts on that, Joe? I, I well, like a couple thoughts. Um, I, I think, I think where it gets hard is two, two things. Number one, that, that uh, number one, Kevin, I commend you for being able to be that person out in front and, and be the larger than life character that I think kids need to see sometimes administrators and adults in. But my gut would say there's probably people who are listening to this that go, that is not me, actually. That's, I am not authentically that person. So if I try to be that person, I'm actually doing the opposite of what you're all talking about. So what about me? And I think that sort of self-awareness is so incredibly important. And I think what, what I would say to that, and what I think you would say to that is, we're not asking people to be anything other than who they are in themselves, but to take who they are and themselves and to add connection into it. I'll give you an example. We had a, uh, an English teacher in high school named Mr. Rosengren, and every day he would stand outside, and every day he would high-five, and every day he'd shake hands or fist bump. He'd call you by a first name, and that was an awesome way for him to make a connection. That was very authentic to Mr. Rosengren. Mrs. Forbes was our geometry teacher. Mrs. Forbes never stood outside in the hallway. Mrs. Forbes never high-fived us or fist-pounded or whatever. It would have been really weird if Miss Forbes did that, we would have known she was trying too hard. And yet Miss Forbes would connect with us as students in different ways. I remember oftentimes Miss Forbes would be doing some problems at the beginning of class, individual free work, and she would come up to people. And I remember specifically, she would ask questions about our weekend and how things are going in our life. And we'd have to give her a number, one, two, three, four, five. On a scale of one to five, how is your weekend? Four three, whatever. And what she was really looking for, I think, were the, the ones and the twos. And there was a couple times where I would throw out, it was a one. Ooh, I'm going to get emotional. Because she knew something was up. And what she didn't know is that my parents were going through a divorce at the time. And I didn't, I didn't know who to talk to about it. And if you would have put a, a gun to my head and said, out of all the teachers in your school, what teacher do you think that you would have talked to about your divorce? Miss Forbes would have been the last person on that list. And yet it was Miss Forbes and Miss Forbes only who I took the time to talk to about the stuff that was going on. And it was her and her only that knew because she took the time in her own real and authentic way to get to know us. And I opened up to Miss Forbes and I shared some things with her simply because I felt that, I felt trust, like a deep sense of trust. And so I think within everything that we're saying, we're saying be real, be authentic. And for some people that might be the larger than life character, but for others it it might not be. But just because you're not larger than life doesn't mean that kids aren't going to like you any less or that you don't have the ability to get to know them any less. You have to use your own way and your own methodologies to, to, to get in there and build those relationships. But I, I think it's really important for people to hear 
that they don't have to have the crazy, loud, you know, gregarious personality in order to make those connections, that you can do it in your own real and authentic way. Well said, which is why I just want to help teachers be you, which is why if you buy a book, they're, what teachers are looking for is a pre-packaged program that put together that will universally allow all teachers to be what we just described. And there is no pre-packaged way to genuinely and authentically be you. Like everybody has right. to be themselves. And that's the biggest part of our message that we go into schools and they think, just tell me how to do this, Mr. Curtis. And I'm like, God, if I could tell each and every one of you, but like you said, I would have to say, all right, where are these crazy outside of the box teachers? Y'all come over here, right? Where's this middle group? Where are these? You, you, and it's so hard to get them to understand that in education, we're, we're taught that most of the things that were expected of us, whether it be academically or even building relationships or structures or, or routines, that it comes in a prepackaged form and that that will help me be a better educator and a better person because this package says, this is how you do it. And that's why I've been so big that everything is about differentiation. Everybody is built different. Everybody comes from different experiences. There is not one way to build a genuine and authentic relationship for every single student by every single adult. But in our mind, we think it exists out there. And my goal is to break down that barrier of just saying, let's just all admit. And I always say, sometimes we give our definition and then we always say what it's not. And I always say this, it's not a magic wand and it's not a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that up front because somehow in education, we're thought that those do exist, that there's a, there is a magic wand, Joe, that somebody could buy that you could literally sprinkle dust on and click on things and it would make kids listen and it would make tea. I'm like, it doesn't exist people. So stop, stop, stop searching for it. Yeah. Do the work, pick up the guitar and learn how to play. Right. Yeah. Do the work, figure out, okay. If I'm hearing a message, I'm watching this nerdy teacher down the hallway do a five-minute monologue. I'm watching this teacher do check-ins with her kids on a scale of one to five. I'm watching this guy do this and, 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 and then try to figure out, but what is the message that they're all doing, right? That, right. That's, that's what you have to figure out. It's yeah. not, but teachers are ingrained to think, Oh, write down the strategies and ideas that he's doing and try that one. Write down the strategies and idea that, no, you're looking at as and saying, these are guides, but the, yep. but the strategies and the ideas that these teachers are implementing in the classroom are all designed, focusing, doing what, what, when you break this down, Joe, and you see that the, the group of teachers using a variety of different ways of building and sustaining relationships with kids what are some of those qualities that you think that our educators should just consider as they're trying to be the best, the best teacher that they can be? I would say one of the biggest things is, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier, the ability to punt when uh, you make some bad calls, being flexible and, and being able to, to pivot in, in different directions, I think is incredibly important. I think courage, it's very, it takes a lot of courage to try new things 
and to put yourself out there in a real and vulnerable way. And so I think teachers need an insane amount of courage to do that. Uh, they need to be flexible. They need to be able to, to go right when they need to go right and left when they need to go left. And I think maybe most importantly, what they really truly need is they need support from each other. They need to know that when they try something new, that the teacher on their right and their teacher on their left aren't going to look at them and judge them, that they're going to support them. And they're going to say, hey, how can, what did you do? How did, how did that go? And, and, and what did you do today? Or how, did, how could we make it better? Right? We need to surround ourselves with a, a crew. And so often, I think, in education, we get in these silos where the math team hangs out with the math team and the, and the, and, or the elementary school in the district hangs out with the elementary school district and the PD. And we forget that there's um, so many people, there's, there's teachers all around us that we can learn from and grow from, but we have to be willing to be open to those ideas and we have to be willing to support other people's ideas so that they, confidence is something that you earn and you, you learn that you gain. It's not something that you're just given. Some people, it seems like they have an insane amount of confidence, but I think part of that confidence is gained over failure over and over and over again because they've tried it, because they've been flexible, because they've pursued that courage that they need in order to push themselves a little bit. Um, and so I think personally, it takes a lot of courage, flexibility, but then communally, I think it just takes a lot of love and support so that we know as a staff uh, that, that, that even if I try something outside of the box, it's not going to be looked down upon. It's going to actually be, it's going to be seen as a good thing. And it might not be everybody in your school, but there might be three or four or five different educators in your building or your district that go, hey, I get you and I, I want to support you. And I think it's so important that we're going through this education experience, you know, with a crew, with a group, with a crew, with a, with a community that can uh, support us and love us along the way. That's good. It's good, valuable information. I just know that as you've pointed out, courage, flexibility, vulnerability, I just want them to figure out what do they need? In other words, do I, do I need an idea if I'm more of a shy person or a reserved person? So, you know, as I'm, and this is off the cuff, Joe, I'm just thinking like maybe we need to break down strategies and ideas for different types of educators. Well, I think, I think, I think the first and foremost, like we have to understand who we are. Like I think people are going, well, I don't know who my authentic self is. I don't know what my authentic voice is. So I think the first and foremost, we need to do like a self assessment, a self, we do an activity called I stand for this. And it's a real basic activity, but what, it, and I could, if you want to, I could link a PDF because I have it all, all the instructions and the entire activity. I could share it with anybody who wants it and you could do it yourself or you could share it with your staff or your crew, but it's a real basic activity. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes and all you're doing is you're identifying your top values. And by the end, we give you a little card and a little place to write down your top three values. But through a process of elimination, you get real clear on the values that are the most important to you. And so I, I think that's a tool that is like, what are, what can, like what's a hands thing, right? That, that people can actually do. The I stand for this assessment is a really awesome way to just start by going, what do I stand for? What are my core values and what do I believe in? And uh, I think it's incredibly important. Another activity that I think would allow teachers or another tool that would allow teachers to be real and authentic is around this idea of storytelling. Um, 
I think it's incredibly important. I, that's why the, the, the part about Mr. Westlake and the physics, he would share things from his life that were they're personal. Again, they weren't always super interesting, but I think we have to forget, like I think we forget that we're, we're interesting to the people that are listening to us. Sometimes we don't think we're very cool. Or we don't have great stories. We don't have any adventures in our life, but the audience that's listening to us, they do want to hear from, from us and they want to hear these real experiences. And so when I always talk to people about the importance of story and getting out there and sharing your voice, the feedback and the pushback that I get is I don't have any stories and um, I, I'm not a good storyteller. And I say bogus to all of that. And here are four categories where all of us have tons of stories that we could mine from you know, our lives that we could share with other people. And I use it as, I'll call it the Ford technique. And F stands for family, O stands for occupation, R stands for recreation, and D stands for dreams. We all have stories about our family, good, bad, in between. We've all had occupations, first days, last days, good days, bad days, right? Tons of stories there. We've all had things that we've done outside of our work, hobbies, sports, things that fire us up. What are your recreational passions? Mr. Wesley talked about his, or his, uh, his motorcycle, right? And then dreams. Like we all had dreams as a kid. We still probably do as an adult. Talk about those, share those dreams. Did you accomplish them? Did you fall short? Uh, what happened in between, but with those four categories alone, family, occupation, recreation, and dream, dreams, you have tons of places where you can pull stories from. And if you've done the I stand for this activity where you really identify what your core values are, I think you'll be able to use those stories and share them in a way that not only presents you in the most authentic light, but I think it uh, you know, just kind of strengthen, I don't know, like kind of strengthens your trust within them. And it allows you to shape the story, uh, I think, in a way that where like the message of whatever it is that you're trying to share really shines and comes out. Man, Joe, that was powerful. Oh, great acronym. Uh, you know, as educators, we love acronyms. And so I, 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 that was that was a great, great tool that you gave us. And it just made my brain is popping now. But what I'm starting to to gather, and every time you and I talk, we always like get ideas, but it's like, if we could come up with, like you said, that little bit of part about what I stand for. So it starts to help that, you know, step one, just know what your values are and what you stand for. And then, like I was saying, if we could show them, here are a variety of ways that you can connect storytelling and then use the fork, right? Yes. Um, other ways of listening to the kids and doing check-ins. Like, I think if I want to, what I want teachers to see is there's a variety of ways and there's not one way to just do this. And then what we could do is take their values and who they are, and then they could start to match up which ones really do I feel like I would be more comfortable with? I am not, I don't think I would be good at this one, but I don't have a problem with this one, but I need to know how to do this one. Yeah. So I feel like if we could guide them down this path, it would help educators realize that, oh, I can be genuine and authentic by being myself and still being comfortable because I know who I am and what I stand for and where my thresholds of of being ordinary are. As you've pointed out today, that's what I'm really taking away from. But then I think what they'll start to figure out, Joe, is is their ordinary back, uh, the, the threshold of being ordinary will be pushed. Because I yeah. will say, 
ordinary will lead to more vulnerability. In other words, the more I'm ordinary, the more all of a sudden you, you don't realize you're sharing more about yourself. And that, and that line is moving as you gradually connect with the kids. And I was talking with a teacher the other day, and he's only been teaching four years, but he talked about, if I don't model this for the kids, then they're not going to model it back for me. So his point about building relationships was, I have to be I have to model it and show them where my threshold is and what I'm willing to share. And whatever that is, I have a dog, you know, or I love to go and, and, you know, hiking in the mountains, whatever it is, then the kids will reciprocate. We talked about this reciprocation of relationships, but he says his opinion was it really starts with the modeling of the adult, that when the adult models where the threshold of being ordinary is, then the kids kind of meet you there. And then if you go a little bit more, then the kids will go a little bit more. And again, I know we're, we're kind of stereotyping, we're talking about in general, but I thought it was realizing that they're just waiting on you because, uh, you know, kids come into classrooms and they see a stranger who is an adult, who's, you know, given responsibility and, and ultimately given the idea that you're supposed to respect them off the bat and all of these things are going on. There's, there's this whole awkwardness of like, it's kind of like dating, right? Like, but it's like speed dating. I go into this classroom and I'm supposed to quickly get to know this person and, and believe in them that they're authentic and real and genuine and that they're an expert in their field and all of these things in weeks. I believe that we expect all of this to happen way too fast way too soon. And it's happening under the context of don't forget we're here for content. Yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not here to connect with you, do content. We're we're not here for a variety of things. We're primarily here for one reason and one reason only. So let's get to work. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, And it's it's interesting because I was thinking about this the other day. Um, This last few weeks have been really, really busy for me. I think all of us know the importance of working out and exercise, right? And when I get really, really busy, what's the first thing that goes off my plate? Is working out and exercise. Yep. And yet I know when I put in that workout and I do that exercise, every part of my day is more efficient. Absolutely. I think different, my mindset's different, I eat different, I'm more focused, and yet I have to like keep reminding myself that that without that workout. Uh, I'm, the days, the, the stuff is going to be harder, basically. And yet, the other part of my mind is you don't have time to work out. There is no time. If you do that, you're not going to get X, Y, and Z accomplished. And I think so often that's what happens in education is we know relationships are important. And like you said earlier, but when it gets busy and stressful, it's the first thing that goes. And yet, if we keep it and we keep it centered into just the way we do things from how we greet kids when they walk into our classroom or in our Zoom meetings to how we check in with them outside of class. If we just keep it there in the center of our lives at all times, I, I just think it's, it's one of those things that, that will enhance the rest of the work that we do. And so I, I see it as an essential building block to be the best educator and the best human that we can be. If we don't have that strong relationship and we don't invest in that time, I think everything else is just going to start to feel off. Almost like when I don't work out for two weeks, everything in my life just starts to feel off, you know, and I know I got to get back into that routine and some days I don't want to do it. And some days it feels like it's just an extra thing. But when I do it and I invest time and energy into it, the rest of my day just goes so much smoother. 
And so, yeah, I think in just being intentional about investing time into relationships and at the same time realizing that it's not wasted, that it, it, it benefits every other part of your life and every other part of your day when you take the five minutes at the beginning to really invest in those relationships with your students and your colleagues. Yeah, well said. Um, and I think it comes back to, like I said, a couple things. Permission. You got to empower yourself to have permission, to give yourself permission to do this. And that's why I always say administrators, campus leaders, district leaders, give verbal. And I say this, say it out loud. Don't just infer it. Say you have permission to connect with your kids in your classrooms. Take those first couple minutes and not just the first five days of school. You got to keep going. Yeah. Not even permit, like this is, it goes exactly back to what you just got done saying. As an administrator, it is not only our your responsibility, I'm not an administrator, so I'm going to talk to an administrator right now, is not only responsibility to give the tools to your teachers to say, you got to do all this stuff. You have to model it. Like you just got done saying, the teacher got done saying, how am I going to get a student to model the behavior if I'm not doing it? Well, as an administrator, how are you going to get your teachers to think that relationships are, are awesome and important? How are you going to get your teachers to buy in taking five minutes at the beginning of each class to invest in relationships when you're not doing that as an administrator, when you're not being real, when you're not being vulnerable, when you don't take five minutes at the beginning of your meetings to make connections and show people that relationships are important? How are you going to get other people to buy into it? And so I think if we're really going to truly create cultural change, systemic change, and sustainable change, this is stuff that has to be done at the administration level. Like The work needs to be done up in those areas first, because I think what ends up happening is we push all these ideas and these new techniques, whether it's trauma-informed or SEL or restorative practices, and we keep, as administrators, throwing these down to our schools and to our teachers and we say, just try this new thing. It's a new band-aid to go on this wound. And I swear, this one's going to work better than the last one. But without 80% of the administration and teachers buying into that, it's never going to be actually like lived out. And it's going to fizzle. And it's gonna, you're going to, as a teacher, start getting jaded. And you're going to go, wait a second. We keep getting told all these new techniques, but it doesn't feel like we're really sustaining it. Or it doesn't feel like it's going much past six months or a year. And so I think it's incredibly important that administrators take the time to do the same kind of work that they're asking for their teachers to do. And so it becomes not just the thing that Mr. Curtis does in his history class once a week. And I just hope I have Mr. Curtis. It's something that becomes something that's like fabric of your, of your culture. It's just stuff that gets, it's just, that's what we do. And so I think it's incredibly important that administrators get off their platform a little bit and realize, man, I should be doing some of this stuff too and modeling it for my teachers so that they can model it for the students. And so it becomes something that gets sustained throughout a year or two years or five years or 10 years. Wow, Joe. This is why I love you because I, I'm sitting here smiling. Uh, everything you just said is everything we preach and teach. We, we say, okay, you brought us in here to focus on what we call classroom connections with the kids. And the first thing I address is campus connections. Like that's yeah. so, so what you're saying, Joe, we're a one, two punch. 
what you just echoed is a perfect message. I don't need to repeat it, but it's really the importance of if you don't build relationships with the adults, then the adults will not understand the power of this connection and relationship, and they won't know how to utilize these tools. And so everything you just said is exactly why we preach campus connections, then classroom connections. And you threw a word in there that I love you for, and that is sustainability. I tell, I, I learned, you know, early in this work, Joe, I thought I was coming in to build, okay, give teachers ideas to build. And then I would come in the school districts and I would realize they're either not bringing us back or they're not being intentional. Like, okay, we checked the box. We, we yeah. brought in Kevin in his group. Okay, that's done. And I'm like, what about sustainability? And that's when I really transformed and add one word to my definition, you know, a differentiated relational approach to build and sustain relationships and managing student behavior. And that word sustain, I tell him it's differentiated. There it is. And I said, build, but what about sustain? In school, we struggle with the word sustain because as you pointed out, sustain means that's one more thing on my plate and my plate is full. And then my last soapbox issue that you brought up is in, in all of the initiatives that you just rocked are important. Social emotional learning, trauma-informed practices, restorative practice, they're all great. And, and here's where I differentiate for a, little, a lot of people in education. The way that those are delivered, Joe, are in what I call lesson-based curriculums. In yep. other words, social emotional learning is a powerful tool. I am so glad that we have finally addressed the social and emotional needs of our students, right? But here's what I'm trying to get schools to understand, particularly coming back mid-pandemic, we're grabbing as many of those big binders as we can to help all of our students be successful coming back mid-pandemic. And what I'm trying to remind them is that, remember, all of those are lesson-based, and when I say lesson-based, I'm not putting it down, but in other words, it's going to be a lesson that a teacher goes through X amount of minutes. It's going to look like a lesson. It's going to tell you introduction. Here's the objectives. And what I'm emphasizing is, what about putting relationships first? What about building your school on a rock of relationships instead of the sand of initiatives? Because what's right. going to happen is, is if we bring in all these big binders, and, you're, and, let's, and let's just be really direct. We're ready to talk about race and diversity and culture and all these great things. How in the world are you going to have these conversations if we don't even know each other? Oh, yeah. so, so my point is, is, is and I'm gonna, I'll say it, I'm not afraid. I think some schools are making a mistake. They're so busy and we're so used to grabbing all of these initiatives is that I'm like, what about relationship-centered learning first? What about RCL before SEL? Because not that SEL is import, not important. I'm not even trying to compete with them. I'm trying to get in front of them. I'm trying to say, what about the idea of just building and sustaining relationships as a foundation? So now we can talk about trauma. Now we can talk talk about race and culture and diversity. Now we can talk about those heavier and they're all, and, and for teachers, all of those conversations are all going to be initiated through a lesson-based curriculum. And the one yeah. thing that stands out about our tools is we're non-lesson-based. You don't have to have a lesson to talk to a kid about, hey, what's, the, what's your favorite drink? Or if you could have any ice cream topping, whatever. And you're like, well, that's stupid. That's irrelevant. No, that's exactly what you need to do to show that you're ordinary. And as yeah. we build that threshold, then as we move our threshold from extraordinary to ordinary, then we can start talking about those little bit deeper topics that, that schools want us to talk about and that we need to talk about. What's your thoughts on that, Joe? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I hear you a hundred percent. Um, and I, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a buildup, right? Like we can't, I think a lot of schools are, are running 
running, running, but they haven't started crawling, right? They, 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 the, the foundation is so incredibly important. And one thing that we're starting to do and shifting in our business is really kind of going away from the one and done and coming in and being the shot in the arm. And th that's important, but it, it's, it's not helpful if it's not part of a bigger plan. It's not helpful if there's not going to be some sustainability that goes along with it. It's not helpful for me to come in and talk about human, human connection if human connection isn't a priority within the culture of the school because it's just going to, it's going to rev people up, but then it's going to just kind of fade away. And so I, I think it's incredibly important that this is something that is a, a practice that gets built in with just in the system of, of the school and, the, and the, like I said, the fabric in general of the actual district. So yeah, uh, I kind of know, I, I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit on that, but um, yeah, I just think it's incredibly important, like you said. Awesome. Well, so then let's get to that point, Joe. Let's talk specifically about what you're doing in schools and what you're doing in life. Like, what are you excited yeah. about in your work? Because I want people to know how to get a hold of you. I want them to know what, what services you do offer, because I believe that you have a valuable a valuable resource to offer schools. And as we talked about, you're not only you charismatic and good looking and got great hair from a guy who's bald. I mean, you, you've got it all. You're the full show. So I want, I want our listeners to know a little bit more about what they can expect if they look up um, Joe Beckman and want to know, well, what, what can he do for me and my campus? Yeah. Well, if you were to ask me that question six months ago, I would have said, Hey, exactly what I just got done saying. We could come in we could deliver a game-changing talk that's going to tame, change the hearts of a lot of kids and it's going to get you know, everybody fired up on a united message on character. And that's going to be the product that we are able to deliver. But now, six months after that, um, we've been working diligently on trying to figure out how we can extend that message. And so how we're doing that is we're still doing keynotes and we're still doing talks where a school will bring me in. But we are saying the only way that we're going to do that, the only way I'm going to fly away from my family and spend time, significant amount of time somewhere else, is if I know that one message is going to be at least attempted to be sustained throughout the rest of the year. So besides a live message, we also have online tools, uh, like an online library. We call it the Human Connection Hub. And schools can use that hub as a way to continue the message of character, of connection, of relationships after I go. It's almost like what Netflix is to entertainment we're creating for schools on relationships, self-care, and human connection. Uh, and so minimum partnership right now that you can work with us is if we know that we're going to deliver a live event, but you're going to also have some follow-up that you do to extend it throughout the rest of the school year, be it in an advisory at a middle school or a high school level, or if it's, you know, more of like a real, like a curriculum that a, an elementary does on a weekly uh, or monthly basis. Um, beyond that, however, what we're really excited about is sitting down at an administrational level and re getting to really building that rock, like you were saying, the foundation of what it's all built on rather than a sand of initiatives. And so, and this is different for me. But we're really looking to partner with school districts multiple years, two to three to three to five years is really the amount of time that we've seen that it takes to get everybody on board to make this both sustainable, something that people buy into, and something that when we leave after five years, it's something that a school district can, can take and, and run with it. Even if a principal leaves 
or one of the key people in the district goes somewhere else, that, that this idea of relationships and connections still lives through. And so we're working with school districts at a very like grassroots level where we're working with just superintendents and associate superintendents and administrators. And we're taking that full year just to work with them three to four to five different visits, whether that's live or virtual. And once we got the administrators on board and we're all speaking the same language, it's only then in year two that we can get the teachers in and on board with that. And once we get the teachers in and on board with that, that's in year three where we come in and start working with the students. Because we know that in year three, instead of the teachers being against the wall or way, you know, sitting not with the kids during my presentation, they're going to be in there with the kids. They're going to be sitting and taking in the message because this is a message that they've already been talking about before I got there. And it's a message that they're going to talk about after I, after I go. And so what we're really excited about is this almost long-term partnership where we're not even just in getting the, the teachers and the educators on board, and we're not even just getting students on board, but we're also bringing it out to the community. Parents, uh, community members, government officials, police officers, we need this to be something that takes a village in order for this stuff to really, truly take hold in a community. And we need key stakeholders throughout that entire village that are all singing the same song. And so really excited about what that's going to look like when it comes to these multiple year partnerships and getting key stakeholders throughout the district on board, because we think that's truly the way that we're going to move the needle and the right, that's how we're going to really truly change education. And I think that's the, instead of the bandaid on the wound, that's us trying to get to underneath the wound and, and why the wound is there to begin with, instead of just trying to cover it up with a quick fix, if that makes sense. So really excited about that. Awesome. So how can people get a hold of you? Uh, the best way right now is just to go through my website, which is joebeckman.com. Um, they can find my contact info. They can learn a little bit more about the message. Um, we're still updating some things as we shift into this new part of our, our business with the multiple year partnerships and some of the people we're bringing on board. But people will get a pretty good sense of of who I am and, and what we do as an organization by just going to joebeckman.com. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, man, this show was a blast. I am so honored in just a couple of things that I'm taking away from you today. That extraordinary versus ordinary man, that was like, it's just throbbing in my brain to just realize those powerful words and for teachers to try to build relationships the way they authentically can and that everybody needs to do that different, Joe. Man, it was an honor. It was a blessing as usual. Every time we connect, um, it is definitely sparks in so many different directions. I know that I always look forward to opportunities to engage with you, uh, interact with you. I thank you for the work that you do, Joe. It is so valuable. Um, I, I wish every educator could watch your video, The Calling, because to me, Joe, you speak from your heart. I use that a lot at the end of the trainings because I think your voice in reminding us that our calling in education is so valuable. And I, I cannot thank you enough for that video in itself because it is, it, is, is, it is moving and it is inspiring. And I love that it comes from your heart. So thank you, Joe, for your videos. Thank you for your message. Thank you for the work that you do. And thanks for being on the show today.
Well, do you, I, I appreciate that. Um, for those who have ever watched The Calling or if you're listening to this and you go, go on YouTube, find the, just type in Joe Beckman, The Calling, and it really kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. There's no script on that one, Kevin. That was purely the director said, speak about something that's really important to you. And I've shared that story before in situations, so it comes off pretty naturally, but that was truly no script, being real, being vulnerable, sharing a story of ordinary in our life, right? Mm. Sharing about my daughter who struggles with this, um, some of the mental health stuff. So um, I think it's just a, it's a model of why vulnerability and being real is so important and the power of storytelling as well. Um, if I could just say one thing before I leave, uh, if you're a teacher and you are listening to this or you're an administrator or an educator in any way, shape or form, um, I just want to say as a parent who has three kids, I just want to say thanks for your courage simply by stepping up and getting out of bed and putting one foot in front of the other during this crazy, crazy time that we are living in, knowing how political education has got over the last six, six weeks to two months. It seems like it's just went from here to like, it just, it's, it's, it's changed and it's going to be a really, really challenging years, year in, in lots of different ways. And a lot of people are going to tell you that you're not doing your job right, or you should be better at it, or you should be trying harder. And I hope for every one of those negative voices that you hear or see on Facebook or wherever, I hope educators and administrators know that there's 10 other people who are thinking the exact opposite, who love them, that see them, that support them. And they might not have the words to share with them. They might not maybe have the courage to speak up in their Facebook groups, but I want educators to know throughout the country that we love you and that we have the utmost respect for the work that you do. And I just want to say, as a parent, thank you for stepping up to the calling and the challenge every single day. Um, it's going to be a challenging year, but we're going to get through it. And uh, I, I just think we're going to look back five, 10 years from now and be like, remember in 2020, when we went through that crazy year, I hope we can look back and go, as challenging as that was, I'm a better teacher because of it. I'm a stronger teacher. I, I built more tools of connection than I ever had had to in the past. And because of that challenging opportunity, I was pushed to step outside of my comfort zone and I'm better because of it. I think if we can look at this COVID season as a challenge, as an opportunity to grow as an educator, I think that will help only help our students, only help our community, only help our, our schools. Um, and so I just want to say, yes, thank you to all the educators. We see you, we love you, we support you, and, uh, and we're going to make it through this. So thanks for all. Thanks, everybody, for what y'all do. Lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, the educator, the difference maker. Your time is valuable. I see time as an investment. And I want to thank you from the center of my heart for making it to the end of this episode. But please don't let this be the end of our relationship. If you have the same passion for putting relationships and connections at the center of all learning, then I need you to subscribe and share this podcast with other like-minded educators. It would be extremely helpful if you would leave a review or a comment on what you loved about the episode, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear about more in the future. This way, other educators that are searching for impactful podcasts can get a sense of what this show can offer them. You see, my hopes and prayers are that you were able to find one strategy or one idea 
that you could take back to one classroom to make a difference for one kid. Thanks for keeping relationships first, and we'll connect with you next time.